Hello, please let me see your ticket subs for the double-edged double bill. This week, 13th Warrior bombs Gods of Egypt. week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani will come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both will have to pick a number between 1 and 10 or to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. I am Adam Thomas, and I'm clearly from Egypt. Come on! Basically, what the fuck? And I am Thomas Mariani, and I am clearly... A white guy. I'm not going to try and pretend to be something else. I shouldn't be. I really yeah, shouldn't. No yeah. one should. No one should. As will be a recurring factor, unfortunately, in our episode today. People playing people they shouldn't probably play in. Yeah. But welcome, everybody, to The Double-Edged Double Bill, where every week, uh, Adam and I talk about a good and a bad feature we pick at the end of the previous episode related to a topic and uh, this topic's interesting because it was chosen by our patrons patreon.com slash dedbpod more on that at the end of the show Uh, but basically uh, they chose between uh, the highest grossing films of all time and then the ultimate winner of the patreon poll was the box office bombs biggest ones of all time big surpriser that our fucking patrons would stick it to us you fuckers well, here's the thing. Just because a movie cost a lot and lost a lot of money doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad movie, Adam. No, I mean, that's true. I mean, listen to our newest on the edge relevance with the Northman. Yeah, no, it's true. It's just, oh, there are some stinkers in here. <laughs> yeah, uh, we went off of, it's the list of big box office bombs that's on Wikipedia for this, uh, just as a, a rough basis. And uh, there's there's a lot of interesting ones, like I would say um, the one that kind of fits like perfectly in the middle is the one that's sort of, like, purportedly the biggest bomb whatsoever adjusted for inflation, a John Carter. More on that later, possibly, but yes. That's a great example of a movie that got a lot of attention for, like, oh my god, big bomb. Like, a lot of movies do that. Whenever they bomb horribly, it's like, oh my god, it's the biggest disaster, huge failure, that must mean it's a bad movie. That's not always the case, and it's a shame that that stigma's attached to it, even though at the same time, it's fun, especially as a movie nerd, when you see, like, oh wow, a movie bombed that horribly regardless of the quality it's just fascinating to see something so massive fall so far oh yeah no i totally agree and to the point to where i make it a point to try to seek out these movies sometimes just like what went wrong like what was so wrong was it just on the inflated budget or is it truly just a piece of crap uh i I find it always very fascinating yeah um it's especially when you see like in a modern day and age where obviously one we get bigger and bigger movies all the time because we have the whole thing of like well in order for it to like succeed on an international level it has to be the biggest movie that's ever existed um you get a lot of movies that attempt to kind of like be this big massive success and you know not all of them are marvel level hits necessarily even marvel kind of had that with like an eternals was the first example for them of like really just bottoming out in terms of a box office uh, reception. At the same time, I think that's where you get a lot of, especially the interesting kind of like sliding doors moments in movie history, 
where it's like, oh, if that movie hadn't been a big bomb, we might have gotten more of like this particular flavor of movie or something. Like right. a great example of that is like a Titan A.E. Like yeah. that's a movie that yeah, was yeah. a massive failure and kind of killed hand-drawn animation on a certain level. Like the 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 sort of lack of success for that one and also Treasure Planet just really sank hand-drawn animation forever, which is a shame because you would wish maybe if those movies were successful, we'd still get more than just like an occasional Princess and the Frog. Right. I, I Yeah, I completely agree. But you also understand, too. Like, you know, if they put that much money behind, like, a Titan AE, because, I mean, I remember the marketing for that being everywhere and all that. And that soundtrack really trying very hard, both of them, because one had Goo Goo Dolls and the other one had, like, Lit and both yeah. like, very early 2000s movies. Right. And But you also get it. Like, if those die... It, big huge flaming deaths which they both did it's not smart to try it again at least quickly i mean that's it you do notice though with a lot of box office bombs you know something might bomb and and not do well and then maybe you know 10 years down the line they'll try it again it's really give and take It, it really really is yeah we'll be talking about i would argue one of such an example when we get to our double redo choices as it were near the end of the show but we're talking about two specific massive bombs that came out. Uh, we have uh, your good pick. We ended up picking uh-huh. the last episode, which is the 13th Warrior. And then we had my bad pick, which is Gods of Egypt. Oh, God. A lot of detail on both of those here, but we'll start off with the 13th Warrior. He was fortunate to have the love of the most beautiful woman in the kingdom. Unfortunately, she was the king's wife, and he was banished forever. Go with God! You listening? Now, this man of peace has wandered into a land at war against an enemy that comes without warning and leaves without a trace. They are demons. You must know that 13 men have been chosen to destroy this evil. What the hell are you saying? The 13th man is you. The 13th warrior. So the 13th warrior came out uh, August 17th, 1999, which important to point out in terms of the box office stuff. One, uh, this movie had a budget of like, depending on who you talk to, like over a hundred million upwards of like 160 million, and uh, it did not do very well when it came out. Uh, it ended up making overall 61 million dollars. So that's disastrous. At best. D- at best. And what's interesting is I found out the reason why is this came out within a couple, I think, a week or two of the Sixth Sense. And that was the biggest movie possible in 1999. And uh, that was part of it, though. At the same time, this story of uh, basically a Viking legend uh, wouldn't probably be very popular anyway, regardless of The Sixth Sense being a thing. Oh, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. And, yeah, it's so funny that you even brought up how close they were to release, because when I still lived at home with my mom and she bought the very first Blu-ray player we ever no. DVD player oh, that, yeah, we ever, way back, yes. that we ever had. Snap cases. Yep, the very first DVDs we bought, she bought two of them. The Sixth Sense and The Thirteenth Warrior. Oh, wow. Yep, well, yep, yep. That makes sense. Uh, but, Adam, uh, this was your choice, and mm-hmm. I'm curious, why don't you first maybe tell people who likely didn't see this movie what this is about, and then go into why you chose it as a good one. Uh, the movie is about uh, this sort of Viking quest to go to this 
uh, another sort of kingdom in, you know, Norway or the Netherlands or wherever the hell it is, uh, to help save this king whose village is being uh, set upon by you know, supposedly supernatural creatures. So, and along for the quest, there's this Arab scholar who was exiled from his land for, you know, alluded to maybe having an affair with a royal royalty. So the reason he has to go is because they go right before they're about to leave, they visit sort of the soothsayer or mystic. And, uh, you know, she throws the bones and they all stand up and volunteer. And she gets to the final 13th one, throws the bones. And it has to be someone who's not a Northman to go with them. And just so happens he's there visiting with this sort of group of, of Vikings. And so he's forced to go with them. And along the way, he bonds with them. And it's also kind of like how he learns to find his own personal strength and how he helps to, you know, sort of save this kingdom and, and so on and so forth. Swords and, and violence. The reason I picked it, one, it is the source material, Eaters of the Dead by Michael Crichton, is the first adult book I ever read cover to cover. Um, and I fucking loved it. I loved the book so much. So I was super stoked to see the movie. And uh, I saw it and I really did enjoy it. Now, I don't know if it's because I read the source material first or not. I'm assuming that might be the case, but I really, really enjoyed the movie. I especially love the cast of Vikings. Uh, They are fucking phenomenal. The one who plays like sort of his best friend who guides him steals the movie. The guy, one who plays Bullvi is just a giant fucking, like, when you think of Viking, you're like, oh yeah, that guy's a Viking. Um, I think the action scenes are really well done. I, I just think it's a really fun movie now i do know there's obviously there's problems with it being antonio banderas playing an arab um and i get that totally legit i it was a problem at the time it it should be an issue uh and it is an issue uh but i do think given even that sort of problem i do think he does the best he can do with the role yeah um we should probably just get that elephant out of the room right away about that that was sort of the infamous thing about the movie yeah was that uh the character of ahmad was played by antonio banderas uh instead of casting an actual actor of like they vaguely say they all think they only really call him an arab i think the uh-huh. the only real connection we get is that there's at least uh omar sharif is his buddy yeah. in the initial part of the movie and he's obviously egyptians he does muslim prayers right yeah so they establish that that he is muslim yeah. I, I don't think the casting choice would be maybe as bothersome to me if they didn't have like the most famous middle eastern actor of all time <laughs> fucking omar sharif next to him in his introduction yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's it, it's a weird i definitely do not agree with the casting choice of Banderas, even like regardless of like him not being arabic which for the record is the main problem at the same time there's the other thing of i don't think Banderas is great for that role because that character is supposed to be like this uh, guy who's like initially a quiet timid sort of like a poet of sorts who then travels with them and then mm-hmm. gains that kind of confidence afterward. Like the first half of the movie, it's just like this motherfucker was just Zorro. Like we know yeah. this guy's like super confident and brash. You know, so even regardless of like the problematic elements, it's a weird casting just because of what we know Bandera's as, and he can't shake that's that Spanish charm that he no. has at yeah, all. No, no, no. And I, and I said this like on Letterboxd, like the whiplash of this is the movie he followed up Zorro with. Like, the casting whiplash is so insane, going from the perfect to the not perfect at all, what the hell are you doing casting choice is mind-boggling. Mm-hmm. I would say with this movie, I hadn't seen it before, and I haven't read the source material, the Michael Crichton novel, um, I would say going into it, 
even without the knowledge of like some of the production problems that happened, which inflated the budget, I could tell there's a lot of weird stuff, particularly like near the end of the movie with that. And I think the introduction's kind of clunky, but I would say everything from when like they actually start going on the quest through at least like the big what should have I would argue be the climactic battle sequence is like pretty stellar to me. There's some editing problems and stuff, but overall I think like that journey is really fun. I like the cast of Vikings. I like the mythology of this killer that comes up. It's interesting because this is from John McTiernan. Um, it's there's a lot of moments like especially when they go to that village and they see people who have been wounded and you get hints of like the mysterious bear creature guys or whatever. It's just like is this him just doing another fucking predator movie? <laughs> right, it's like right. A lot of him doing another predator essentially in a really fun way. Um, with, with a lot of those elements. And yeah, I, I think there's a lot of fun to be had in this movie, but it's very choppy at points. I think particularly the last, I would say, 30 minutes or so has a lot of just like, oh, this is like barely put together with Scotch team. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely agree. Like, obviously, I didn't notice that when I first saw it because I was a lot younger. But watching it now, yeah, it can be almost jarring at times. Uh, the final sort of bit feels very tacked on. You guys had your finale in the waterfall thing. That was cool. That was awesome. And then they have the fucking, like, oh, we have to have another final battle. Like, wait, what? We're, like, ten minutes away from the movie, and why are we doing this? <laughs> right. Just to give the Bullvi character, I think, a send-off. That's what it felt like. Right, even though he was fine, because, like, he he seemed like he was dying. He died a noble death. And it's like, right. we have to have him die another noble death. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, but you could tell test audience probably like, that guy's awesome. All right, well, yeah, I can do something with it. Well, and, and also, it definitely feels like, because this has been said as much, like, McTiernan had a much longer cut that they severely edited down and then had Michael Crichton come in and direct reshoots and stuff like that. The, the less interesting, like, very choppy, action sequences have Crichton all over it. You know, the thing is, so again, I think what really sells this movie, obviously, like we said, the sort of supporting cast, but the locations are great. Uh, the costuming, set design, all that just works really stellar in this movie. Um, I think, you know, obviously the Banderas of it all is a problem, but I, yeah, I, I tend to think sort of the production problems maybe is what uh, not necessarily hurt this movie to make it a bomb. I don't think this movie could have ever been really super successful just because of the type of movie it is. And again, going against the sixth sense and everything, obviously movie tastes were changing. And that's why, you know, even nowadays, as you can see, even with the Northmen and stuff like that, like these sort of sword epic, you know, either Viking movies or even medieval movies that come out, like look at the fucking Robin Hood or the King Arthur movie with Charlie Hunnam and stuff. They just don't make money anymore. Well, it's a weird thing where there will be one that makes a lot of money and then everyone tries to chase it and never, like, that happens obviously with any trend, but it's mm. definitely the case with, like, Sword and Sandal, it's always, like, one works and then a bunch of failures. Like, I would say Gladiator, massive success, best picture winner, you had attempts at that mm. to follow that up, and aside from, like, Troy... Most of them failed horribly at the box office. And then 300 in 2007. Right. The other example of that, where it's just like, oh, this is massive, big. We got to follow this up with some other, like, big sword and sandal movies. And you get, like, one of the movies we're going to talk about today, quite frankly, has that problem. <laughs> yes. For a lot of reasons. Uh, but, but yeah, I think that's the thing is the 13th movie definitely feels like it's a movie that's maybe more trying to bank off of, say, like, uh, Braveheart. I would say it's, like, the closest comparison at that time. That was, like, another massive success, big box office winner, a period, big action war drama. And then a lot of people tried to follow it up. And this is probably the biggest example of, like, we're going to stop that. Because then right after is Gladiator, which is a completely different animal. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. It's weird how, like, with McTiernan, that dude had such a fascinating run 
from like, mm-hmm. uh, not Nomad necessarily, his first movie with Pierce Brosnan no one knows about. Um, but you got Predator, Die Hard, Hunt for Red October, like that run immediately. It's just like, oh my God, the next big guy. And then following that up with like Medicine Man and Last Action Hero, another oh. movie, two movies we could have talked about. I was like, those are both pretty big bombs. Um, and then doing Die Hard with a Vengeance. And then this year is, um, he had not just 13th Warrior, but also the Thomas Crown Affair remake, which was actually very successful at that time. Then right after this is Rollerball, basic, and then he gets arrested like three years later and he hasn't made a movie since. Oh God, Rollerball, Jesus. Yeah, but if you were to take three movies on anybody's career and, and, you know, throw Die Hard, Predator, and Hunt for Red October in the mix, you'd be like, oh my God, this guy's a master. And then on the other side of things like, oh wait, Rollerball... Basic medicine man and medicine man just like what what the fuck how is this guy making work like that's the weird thing about mctiernan is it's either massive huge success everyone loves or massive disaster huge massive awful disaster <laughs> yeah uh which is a shame again like like i said i don't think this movie was ever destined to do well but i do think it has a reputation uh, where because it was such a bomb that people just won't give it a chance and i get it i do get it especially for the people who like look at who won't watch anything that you know can be considered problematic because there is definitely that group and the antonio Banderas thing is problematic sure uh but the one thing i will say about it doesn't make it okay but they do treat the fact that he's arab and muslim with respect it's not like he's bumbling and you know so out of place and everything like that they they there's some interviews i saw from around the time where they were very proud of like having somebody who was very uh, openly muslim as a character, which I agree, that's a step. Um, didn't make up for casting Banderas. No, no, that's, no, no. That's interesting. And I like elements of that character, like particularly um, the whole thing where he learns the Viking language just by listening. Yes. That's yep. a great sequence. That's such a great example of like, that always happens in these movies where it's like, oh, these two people don't speak any kind of the same language. And then learning from, this is one of the better examples of how to do that, where it's just a lot of like Banderas listening attentively and the way that the mix is between Viking language and English and all this other stuff. It's such a great way of doing that device that helps you advance with the character where it's like, he just listened to these guys talk and was instantly able to pick up on the language. That's how smart this guy is. Mm-hmm. And I love the bit where he takes the sword and, and reshapes it. To be, you know, something that he can handle that he's used to. And I, I also just love the banter. You know, when you die, can I give that to my daughter? <laughs> you know, that type of shit. It's really it's really well done, the the sort of relationship he has with them, particularly the the other guy. I can't ever remember the character's name, but the one who gets involved in sort of the duel to the death with the prince's like bodyguard. Right, and he's their their initial guide when him and Omar Sharif show up at the camp and stuff like that. Yeah. That's also a great scene, that sort of duel scene. Really well done, really sort of establishes pretty quickly, you know, what they're trying to do and and the point they're trying to prove this sort of group of outsiders in their camp. Like, don't fuck with us. Like, we're here to help you. You know, it's just, it's pretty fucking cool. And yeah, the whole descent down into the cave, the waterfall is so cool and like tense and claustrophobic at points. And I mean, it's just really well done. So many beheadings. Oh, yeah, all over the place. That was the big thing. Just like, oh, shit, if you, like, drank every time a beheading happened, you'd get very wasted. Because there's just, like, so many, like, most of the deaths in this movie are, like, massive, awful beheadings that happen that are really dope. Or even, like, my favorite sort of, like, big sequence is, like, the huge, like, battle that they have in what should be, like, the end of Act 2 or end of the, like, climactic moment. Where it's just, like, the they're getting bombarded by these guys, and that's where they find out, like, wait, they're just men. They're just men. And with the, the guys in the bear suits, um, and they're, they're coming around, and there's that one shot particularly of, like, they're on what looks like a giant log face, 
And it's just like one bear guy that comes down, just fucking massacres a guy at the bottom and like falls the fuck over. I get why, like when you say like, oh, this is such a big, massive bomb, like it's all on the screen. This movie puts its budget right there on screen in a way that's like, it is massive. Yeah, no, it's it's a huge movie at scale. I mean, even with the, you know, obviously it doesn't hold up too well CGI scenes of them on the boat going across the choppy waters and all yeah. that stuff. Then you'll have scenes of these giant sets of these big, you know, made Viking boats pulling up to shore with the little boy standing on the edge and then they'll set them ablaze. And I mean, there's a lot of production value in this. Yeah, and I even love even the, the way that they're with those like bears who did sort of mm. implied to be creatures initially. And then they find other men. I love how they kind of shoot around that to where you're almost just like, is this a weird like bear mutant creature? Or is it a man for a while? Like you don't know until that, like that battle sequence, basically if they are actually human or not. Yeah. And until like, the they reveal. Yeah. Until right. Antonio Banderas' character figures it out. Right. Particularly with, I love that whole sequence where they get attacked in like the dark sort of like throne room. Yeah. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Where it's just like them getting mauled. And, like, all this shit is going on. They only have, like, the one paw, basically, as they all, like, dart away. That's a great example of, like, really obfuscating what's going on. And how terrifying the moment is, too, where it's like, you know, where are all the ones theirs, the ones we killed? Mm-hmm. They take their dead with them and stuff. Like, it's such a cool thing where you're like, oh, God, they, what are they up against? Like, it almost feels like it's a take on the Beowulf legend at points. That was apparently the basis for Crichton with, like, Eaters of the Dead. I mean, it had to have, right, uh, 100%. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I mean, to the point where the main Viking's name is bullseye you know i mean it's, right. it's right there but it's it's just such a cool idea and uh it's just like i said it's very unfortunate the production disaster behind it the choppy editing and the banderas of it all because i think if not i think this movie would definitely be sort of a cult classic and it's not that i mean and i hate to use that term cult classic but maybe a rediscovered gem and it's not that. And I don't think it ever will be that. Uh, I, unfortunately, I think this is one that's sort of lost the time. Yeah, I would generally agree with that. Where I liked this movie, but I definitely see like all the rough edges. This is definitely an example where, you know, even though post Justice League, like it seems gauche to be like, oh, or at least the different cut of this that doesn't exist. That's the original director's vision. But I'd be genuinely interested to see like what that like over two hour, like two and a half hour long version that McTiernan would have done would have been probably a, maybe not even a great movie it's still like the banderas casting alone makes it like i don't think you'd ever make this a great movie but i think right. you get a more like grand scale epic giant movie as opposed to this more compromised and watchable movie but one i get why it's just kind of gotten lost to the shuffle you know I, again i understand why this movie didn't do well i understand why it's still not remembered or even watched or talked about but it's just, it's just kind of one of those where uh, anybody who hasn't seen it who might be into these type movies, I'm always like, yeah, maybe check out 13th Warrior. You know, you might like it. And the thing is, I've never recommended somebody who came back was like, that movie fucking sucked. I've, I've gotten either, yeah, that was all right. That was pretty good. Better, mostly you get better than I expected. But I've had a couple people like, that was actually really fucking good. Um, so it's, it's just one of those movies, man. I, I mean, I like it. It's got a special place in my heart. Uh, like I said, because of the book and everything else, but I'm not sort of like, I don't get it. Like, I totally understand. I just think that this is definitely a movie where it would create a classic example of like one of these big bombs, because like I mentioned, it was originally set at 85 million production budget, and then it kind of went up to 100 during shooting. So it's like, okay, you would have lost money if it made that like $60 million either way. But then that studio thing of just like, oh, we got to fix it, throw more money, we got to fix it. 
fix it, fix it, fix it. Like, that never works. Even down Ever. to, like, th- there was a whole thing where apparently, like, the main sort of Viking actor was talking about, they shot this originally in 1997. That was the original pr- principal photography. It was 97. supposed to come out in 98. But in 98, they were doing reshoots literally where, like, for a couple months, they'd have a reshoot with McTiernan, then, like, a break, and then reshoots with Crichton, like, right afterward. That's insane. <laughs> That's insane. Right, and they were just like, oh, don't care about what the other guy did or whatever, and it just feels like, like, I like, you know, obviously Michael Crichton created some, like, massive, huge things in book form and also directed some interesting movies that were, you know, we've talked about Westworld on the Patreon, stuff like that. Like, there's a lot of, like, interesting, you know, creative vision from him and McTiernan, given, like, all the movies he did, but, like, when you try and have, like, these clashing visions fix a movie it's like guys you should have just gone with like your initial loss you would have lost like i don't know 40 million as opposed to 130 million right you should have just kept it at that same fucking boat i i'm all down for polishing edges and stuff that need to be polished but to, to go back and do these expansive reshoots i mean unless you're a marvel movie it never works most of the time anytime you hear a movie has to go back for extensive reshoots you you know there's trouble Right, and to be fair, like, reshoots are built into the budget in general for a movie. Like, usually they do, like, a couple weeks where it's like, oh, we missed this shot, let's shoot this, or whatever. That's always there, but when it's like, oh, hey, we're gonna have two directors doing dueling <laughs> fucking reshoots, that's a very bad sign. That's a horrible sign. Horrible, horrible sign. I mean, the movie was destined to fail. Yeah, even down to, they replaced the score. Like, it was originally Graham Revel, and then they had a completely new score from Jerry Goldsmith. Which does even happen a lot where it's the other way around, where Jerry Goldsmith has recorded many scores that were never used in movies because they replaced... Because that's how deep they're into it. just like, oh, fuck, we got to completely replace the score. It's like, guys, you do- like, you're trying to fix something that's already leaking. You're making a bigger hole. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it, it, it gets to the point to where they know it doesn't work. It's not working. So we might as well just try to retool everything because we don't know exactly what the problem is. So let's just change everything. And, uh, yeah, never a good sign. Right. To the degree that, like, it gets, you know, that kind of reputation around it. Even to the degree of Omar Sharif himself, uh, this is a quote from him talking about the movie, that basically it made him quit acting for a bit, where he said, quote, After my small role in The 13th Warrior, I said to myself, let us stop this nonsense. These meal tickets that we do because it pays well. I thought, unless I find a stupendous film that I love and that makes me want to leave home to do, I will stop. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> that's horrible <laughs> <laughs> this dude was Jesus. Lawrence of Arabia so him saying that is just like wow oh, that's I mean it's stuff. Omar Sharif he's fucking <laughs> acting <Yeah>. royalty yes. <laughs> <laughs> whoops <laughs> might have done something wrong here <laughs> But, but yeah, I mean, I, I, and you can also tell, like, he was only in that one third of the movie, so I'm sure he's just like, hey, Omar, let's do some research. Oh, like, fuck you. One I'm not third, doing that. One third is even being very generous. That's true. Right. I mean, he's in fucking 15 minutes of this thing at best. Right. Yes. And then he's just like, goodbye, Antonio. Goodbye. Yep. See you later. Enjoy your journey. <laughs> like, I expected, like, is he going to go back to Omar? He's just like, no, he ain't there. Nope. He's, he's going to see that fucker again. Nope. <laughs> no. For sure on that. Um, but yeah, let's go ahead and go into final thoughts then on the 13th Warrior. Adam, any final thoughts on the 13th Warrior? Uh, you know, like I said, I think it's a fun, fine movie. There are problems with it, be it with casting and sort of editing and, and you know, a few other things. But I think it's still fun. I, I don't think anybody would, at least I would hope no one would come out of this and be like, that is the worst fucking thing I've ever seen because they're far worse. Stay tuned. Again, I get why it flopped. I get why it's not remembered. But I just think if you are interested in these type of movies, or even interested in the 
the idea of box office bomb movies or anything like that. I mean, you could do a lot, lot worse than 13th Warrior. I think it's fun. Yeah, um, I quite enjoyed it. Uh, I didn't love it necessarily. I think it's definitely a movie where it's, like, we've talked about frustrating movies where it's like you watch, it's like, oh, I could see the great movie this could be. And that's a bit with this movie. Uh, but at the same time, it still is, like, very watchable, very enjoyable, despite some of the elements around it that are awkward with the casting and such. But at the same time, it is still, like, it's very watchable. It has some, like, really well-done sequences uh, that are, like, really fun. I would could see this being, like, a movie that cable companies bought for cheap. And they're just like, fuck it, let's run the the 13th Warrior on TV. It only eats up like an hour, 45 minutes. That happened. That happened. I'm sure it did, yeah. This shit used to play on TNT all the time. That was a big thing with any of these like box office bombs, was just like they had to recuperate somehow, so it's like fucking sell off the TV rights for cheap. Yep. And just have like TNT or fucking uh, TBS play it for like years and years. I'm sure that was the case with this one. Uh, but yeah, as it stands, like I think it's enjoyable. It, like I can see the much better movie that's in there. Um, and unfortunately, I think if nothing else, it's a really fascinating study in like what a disaster box office like movie can ultimately be, which is to say like they're not always like the worst movies ever made or they're not always the biggest underrated gems of all time. Why did we let this flop? It's a movie where I get why it failed. It's not nearly as bad as people said it was, but ultimately uh, it deserves maybe at least a bit more attention. It's like, this is fun. It doesn't take up a lot of your time. It's only an hour, like 40 minutes. Uh-huh. It's really lean. <laughs> it's very, very lean. But a movie that's not very lean at all, oh, God, much Jesus. more maximalist even than this movie is Gods of Egypt. Ages have passed since the gods walked among us. Before the fury swept over our land. Before the war. And now fit to be king. It's my turn now. Soon I will rule all of the world. So how do we stop him? Try to keep up. You know what's waiting. Set has an army behind him. Bow before me or die. I won't make that mistake. So, Gods of Egypt came out February 26, 2016, from director Alex Proyas, who we've talked about on the show, in terms of uh, you're a big fan of Dark City, Adam, and we talked about like, uh-huh. the original Crow, which were like the two big movies that got him started. Um, and, you know, after that, he did some stuff like iRobot and Knowing, and then that ultimately got us to Gods of Egypt, which uh, is the most recent theatrical film he's done. He hasn't done anything since. I wonder why. Big shocker. Whoa, what? Right. And uh, this movie cost $140 million and made 150 which some may say, oh, it made back its budget. But for a movie like this, that's extremely expensive and has a lot of advertising behind it, you want to make at least like two and a half times the budget. Yeah, at least right. double. Right, to cover that, as opposed to uh, this movie did not do that, and thus it lost about $90 million for the studio, even though they were trying really hard. Like, there was a, a great like interview where Poyas is talking about like, oh, we want this to be the start of a franchise, like Ooh. a big, massive franchise. And this movie has that all over it. So oh, much yeah. just like we're building up like this is our universe and everything. It's the story 
um, of a bunch of Egyptian gods. Um, like you got Nikolai Costerwaldo as uh, Horus, <laughs> a, a real Egyptian god. Just, just that the fucking that name in front of as Horus is the most. <laughs> Keep going though, because there's a lot more of that. She was about to become king of Egypt, so sort of like the main god after his uh, father retires. But uh, while they're at the big crowning ceremony, his evil uncle, uh, Set, played by Gerard Butler, uh, comes in and stages a surprising uh, coup where he becomes the leader of Egypt and he takes away the glowing magical eyes of Nikolai Kosterwaldo. Uh, thus, he uh, is like sort of banished off, and we mainly follow this one uh, fucking human played by Brendan Thwaites, who was a young white actor that they were trying really hard to sell. Oh man, they, dude, they tried to push that kid so hard. There was this, the Pirates movie, uh, Maleficent. Maleficent. They really were trying, man, and then they gave him fucking Titans, and like, hey, here you go, you can have this. His name is Beck. B-E-K. Right. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's just like, oh, man, are you going to start singing Loser? Oh, God, I wish. Well, no, instead he's going to sing a fucking song from Aladdin, because he's literally Aladdin at the opening. Of the yeah, movie. no, yeah, he's Aladdin. He's about to sing, like, one jump, head of the bread line. No, <laughs> he's about to percent. He's this good-looking thief on the streets of Egypt. Right. Oh. He's in love with this one girl of his, and he's just like, oh, I'm going to marry her and all this stuff. And he kicks off the plot, because after, you know, Set takes over and enslaves a bunch of the humans... Um, Brendan Thwaites tries to still see his uh, lady love, uh, Zaya, played by Courtney Eaton, and they get caught trying to have their little love affair, and uh, thus uh, she is killed in their escape in one of the funniest fucking things, her death scene. By Rufus Sewell. Right, who is her master. When she ends up uh, dying and she goes on the journey through the afterlife... Um, he is like, oh, please, uh, Horace, you have to save her. You have to help me save her somehow. It's just like, well, I mean, if you give me my eye back, then I can probably help you out and uh, maybe we can find some way to get her back from the afterlife. And they meet a bunch of other characters along the way, other big Egyptian gods. And um, I should emphasize big because one of the many weird decisions the movie makes is that all of the Egyptian gods are like 10 feet tall. Yep. And they have gold blood. Right, and they have gold blood, stuff like that. This movie, I, I will give credit to, is uh, very ambitious in terms of what it wants to do with like building this universe based on old Egyptian mythology and stuff like that. It's trying really hard to make that this like big, grand, epic scale. And I think the weird thing with this movie is whenever it doesn't focus on more than one human being in the central part of the frame, I think it looks gorgeous, but then a human moves around. And it looks like shit. It's so ugly. It is so Fucking ugly. Awful. It's awful. Like the compositing in this movie is some of the worst I've ever seen in a movie that costs once again 140 million fucking dollars. I mean, and the thing is, before and since, mm-hmm. like even movies that were doing digital compositing ten years before this movie came out look more legit than this. I mean, it is awful, awful, awful. To the degree that it makes the that sort of like scale thing change with from like shot to shot. Yep. Particularly the opening sort of like big coup scene in the fight between uh, Nikolai Costrovaldo and Gerard Butler. Gerard Butler at one point is like human sized. Yeah. And he like flattens <laughs> Nikolai Costrovaldo. It happens a lot. <laughs> uh huh. There's many times where Brendan Thwaites will be standing next to Nikolai Waster, Nikolai whatever. What is the fucking Game of Thrones? Jimmy Lannister. Jimmy yeah, Lannister. Lannister. Let's call him. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, 
he'll be like chest height to him, and then the next thing he's like top of his head is like his belly button. Like it's yeah. constant. It's constant. And you know, because I feel like this is a movie we're just going to be like, what the fuck and why the whole time? Like it's very hard to set dissect this movie uh, because it is a very what the fuck did I just watch sort of movie. I have to be honest and say that. Chadwick Boseman gives one of the oddest performances I might have ever seen in a film. It is so bizarre. Such a weird, muddled accent and cadence of speaking. Like, I don't think he wants to be there. And I, I think that's evident. Like, I think he like, because that's that actually, to be true, is with a lot of the actors in this movie. They're probably like, oh, what the fuck did we do? I don't think he wants to be there. And clearly, Jeffrey Rush has no interest in what is happening. No, yeah, I think what I find interesting about Bozeman and Rush is I would agree they don't have as much interest, but I would say them doing, like, the weird shtick that they're doing is much more interesting than, like, with Jamie Lannister. It's just this big problem of, like, he's trying to be, like, an action hero in this oh, movie. Oh, dude, and it does not work. It falls no. so flat. And even the same thing with, like, Gerard Butler is trying to be, like, oh, I'm a hammy villain, but, like, it doesn't feel like hammy in, like, the fun way. It doesn't feel like it's like a Clash of the Titans kind of thing where that would be, like, really fun to see. They don't let him do it enough. He's not on no. screen enough. Like, Jabari Butler doesn't have as much screen time as he should. He should be on screen a lot more and really hamming it up and being crazy. Like, even Rufus Sewell, who, you know, Rufus Sewell is at least being incredibly hammy in this movie. Right. Like, it's not good. I'm not saying it's good. It's not a good performance. But at least he's, like being silly and just taking it, you know, on the chin and being goofy. I, I would say Bozeman and um, Rush is more disinterest, but I think most everyone else in is taking it way too seriously, especially fucking Lannister and Brandon Thwaites. Like, they're really fucking treating this like it's going to be something. And it's like, the, this movie, it's terrible. The effects are terrible and everything. But I'd argue this movie would have a little bit of charm if everybody was hamming it up and really just sort of having fun. And I don't think anybody in this is having a good time. No, yeah. I think what works about, like, say, Bozeman and Rush is the fact that they are the ones who feel the most like gods in terms of their very big performances, but also they can't be bothered with this, like, big magical adventure. That's what the fun would be of, like, oh, you're hanging out with like, a bunch of, like, Egyptian gods who are, like, above humanity. It's like, I, I have no interest in your pity human ideals. We didn't say that Jeffrey Rush plays Ra, the sun god. Yes, he does play. Which I, we didn't even really say this. Like, we talked about this a lot with 13th Warrior, but uh, this movie got a lot of flack for the fact that uh, not a single Egyptian actor in it. Brian Brown plays Osiris, Ro Jeffrey Rush's son, and Gerard Butler's brother. <laughs> it's, it's so weird, yeah. But, like, one, you should have cast actual fucking Egyptian actors, in this, especially as, like, the Brendan Thwaites part. It's like, just yes. give, like, I don't know, Rami Malik or whatever. Like, Anybody. Anybody who's an Egyptian, but also, like, it would be probably one thing if, like, okay, I could see maybe not casting them all the gods as Egyptian, but when you have, like, 90% sure. white guys, and then just fucking Chadwick Boseman, like, hey. Yeah, and then the African-American <laughs> uh, African female, too, the one who's, like, the snake god or whatever. Right, that's true. Yes. Uh, when you have, like, those are the two literal tokens, basically. Yep. And it's mostly all these white people. It's just like, guys, come on. At least, like, a diverse cast, even if not an all-Egyptian cast. Come on. Anything, dude. Anything. Right. We, you know, what? You know, hot take, Hollywood whitewashes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <gasps> I don't want to throw no. that out there. 
No, I don't. I'm sorry. I did. Adam, how can I ever watch the last Airbender movie again? (laughs) That's a real question. I don't know how I can possibly do that for a lot of reasons. What? What are you talking about? You don't want to watch that again? Um, (laughs) But why it's got to be just white guys? It's so ridiculous to me. And it's so uncreative and visually bland. It's so bland and uncreative. Like, you don't even try to get anybody of color other than, like you said, and I, I hate that term, but it's true, the two tokens. But no, yeah. you get fucking Lannister and Gerard Butler. Well, I love Gerard Butler. I really do. But good God. At the same time, like, even if you rem- want to remove that, it's just like, oh, but isn't it a fun movie? Like, this no. movie is so, like, I like so many of the, the like I said, the some of the visual elements of it. I think I, I like how, like, some of these creatures look when they're animated. Like, honestly, watching this, I'm just like, if this wasn't a fully animated movie where you didn't even have, like, fucking live-action humans in it, it would at least be, like, 50% more watchable than it is. I mean, at best. But the thing is, even when, like, they turn into their, you know, animals or whatever, it looks bad. It looks terrible. And they're, like, robotic, mechanical, like, weird. Like, what is happening here? Like, that's the thing. Like, what is going on? Like, why couldn't he just turn into a giant hawk? And set turned into a giant jackal. Why does it got to be this weird thing? Like, I, it just, it's so, there's so many like choices that were made here that all should have been the opposite idea. Like, it just doesn't work. But I think the problem is that, like, we've talked about this many times on the show, especially with bad choices, where I'm like, oh, they're doing odd choices. I'm usually a big defender of those kind of movies. Sure. They are doing weird, bizarre, crazy things. The problem is that they have some of that visually with some of these things. Like, I think the opening sort of 10 minutes or so where it's like uh, Jamie Lannister gets betrayed and like he turns into a gold guy and fucking Gerard Butler turns into a dog man <laughs> and stuff like that. Like, that's kind of fun. But the problem is that like as the movie goes along, it becomes less of like that gonzo kind of fun energy you get out of something like a Jupiter Ascending. And you get more of like, this is trying to be a blockbuster with like some of the worst like back and forth patter. It was just oh. like, oh man, I think they literally said like, we got company and bullshit like that it is written like the hackiest blockbuster script. Possible. Yeah, it totally, totally is. Right. And, and the CGI sort of fight scenes where they're flying around, especially at the end, is so A, phony looking, B, hard to even tell what the hell is going on because it's so muddy at points. And see, do you give a shit? Right, yeah. The waterfall scene in particular, that, that oh. fight sequence with, like, the dog guys coming in, it looks just like, oh, man, this is, like, a bad Sega CD-level integration of a person into a CG backdrop. <laughs> it's just, like, really fucking terrible looking. And the thing is, like, the few scenes where I kind of find some fun in them are oh, really when reaching. it's, like... You're reaching. I can already well, no, tell. Like, well, because you mentioned, like, the Chadwick Boseman character, like, the sequence where, like, they go to his hideaway, and, like, whole his whole powers, like, duplicates himself multiple times. And right, they're all like, reading oh. different books and everything to, to right. bring up his intelligence. Pretty cool. Right, and, the, and, it's like, and he's, like, trying to seek knowledge. Like, that whole sequence is much more interesting to me because it's actually going into the idea of, like, oh, what is it to be, like, a god that exists amongst humans and stuff like that? And you see this guy, like, his only thing is, like, I have to duplicate myself and create, like, so many different versions of myself so I can seek this knowledge, and he's, like complete disinterest in the big adventure and whatnot. That's a fun idea for a character. Sure. And I like that little introduction scene. The trouble is, then he gets broped into it, and he becomes so much more just like, oh, I'm the smart guy on the group. I'm kind of the quirky one. Right. Like, like Yeah, and that, but then juxtaposed, you got Elodie Young, who I really do like as an actress, and this, she's just like, 
Isn't she pretty? Right, she's pretty, and she's just like, oh, I gotta, like, help out, once again, this fucking little human dude who we don't Because he believes in true love, who you do not care, oh yeah, you do not care about. By the end of the movie, when he's, like, dies, you know, spoiler alert, when he dies, and Horace is all upset, you're like, wait, what? This is so, like, no, no, no. No, you don't give a shit about this kid. Like, stop it. Right, honestly, I, I would rather have more fun watching fucking Jeffrey Rush on his spaceship on top of Flat Earth. <laughs> <laughs> like, just being, once again, another disinterested oh. god. Like, the scene where, like, they try and encounter him and just like, hey, can you help us? I was just like, I have no interest in this. Now, if you excuse me, I have to shoot my giant space dune worm. <laughs> for some, re- for some reason, I have a forehead prosthetic. Right, and also a weird ponytail on the back. <laughs> oh, my God. What the hell? <laughs> Like, if we had more of that kind of weirdness that was, like, sort of the distance of gods versus humanity, I think I'd have a lot more fun with it. But then we have to go right back into some of the most cliche, like, blockbuster back and forth pattern. That's just, like, so dull to me. Terrible. I mean, just even the the Rufus Sewell stuff with him and Brennan Thwaites on that elevator up to Obelisk. She was pretty. Such soft skin. Oh, my God. Okay, we got it. This is, it's just the most cliche, stereotypical bullshit ever i mean ever there's a lot of it like you said it's it 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 comes across like you know all the lines people make fun of in action movies like you even said like oh we got company it seems like they took all of those like these ones are the ones people like let's put that all in here it's a movie that wants to have like those big like elaborate crazy designs but it's also like but we have to make a commercial at the same time like if this was more in the vein of like i mentioned jupiter ascending where that's a very sincere heartfelt bizarre movie that would have it's never been commercial it was a massive bomb but you can feel the sincerity coming out of the Wachowskis where it's like well at least I respect this yeah I'll give you that I'll give you that I don't like the movie well let's be clear I do not like Jupiter Sunny, but I respect it for what they tried to do right versus this is not at all a sincere movie this is cold and calculated this is 100% we're gonna make a ton of money on this and get a sequel that this was exactly that. Like, we're going to build a franchise with this. We don't really know what it is or care what it is, but it's it's crazy. So here you go. They literally tried to make Egyptian like mythology into like Marvel superhero stuff. Thousand percent. They they transform into being Iron Man, and they all have superpowers, and they all you know get in these the crazy fights. Yeah, the quippy one liners, and there's these big CGI fights where the powers are the same. You know, I mean, it's just it's atrocious. The one bit where like uh, Jamie Lannister tries to aim his spear, and it's just like, oh, you got to throw it. Just like my eyesight is what it used to be. Get it? And I don't know if you got it. I, like, let me reiterate. So, wait, no, yeah, wait. Now, what happened? What happened? Okay, okay. Why? why? So, he his eyesight was what it used to be because okay. he has right. not not two eyes, not zero eyes. Okay, okay, but just one eye. <laughs> right. Oh my yeah, now god! Now I got it. it. Redeems the whole movie. Right. Holy <laughs> shit! <laughs> oh, you got me with air. Oh man. Oh man. 10 out of 10 gods of egypt why did it bomb so badly it should have been a massive. i don't know I, I i don't know like it's great it's, it's fucking it's it's uh it is something look i watched this last night i fell asleep twice in in my uncomfortable ass computer chair sat up woke myself up like all right i'm good i gotta watch this i gotta watch this rewound it fell asleep again woke up holy fuck what's going on jumped in the shower to wake up came finished it and then hated myself because then i got an adrenaline burst and i'm like oh great now i'm up till 4 a.m 
Like that's that's the, I don't know that I would call this one of those forgettable bad movies because I don't think it is that. But this is definitely one of the worst ones we've done for the show. The big thing I would say about this is, like I mentioned earlier, this is one of the more cynical products we've done for the show, as opposed to like genuinely like terrible movies where you feel some investment from people that are going on. This feels so bizarrely calculated in a way where it's just like, oh, we want to make this commercial, but also do extravagant fun designs. It wants to have its cake and eat its too kind of thing to a degree that feels so cynical and cold and not at all like a like an enjoyable train wreck of a movie. This is just kind of like a dull one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's dull. It, it's it's boring. Like it's boring. Mm-hmm. And a movie like this that looks like this and has this sort of action sort of idea behind it and the sets and the the good looking cast and all that. Once again, I'll reiterate this. Raw is on a big fucking spaceship that's above a literal flat Earth where he is shooting a worm dude. That has the sun chained to it. Yep. So he's pulling the sun around flat Earth. Like, you describe that to me, I'm like, that sounds interesting. That sounds crazy. What the fuck? Wait, he's fighting a Lovecraftian monster at the end? Wow. Or it's a Dune sandworm? Yeah, let's check that out. Great. No. No, don't do it's pretty, it. it. Especially like when they come back to it and like Gerard Butler fights him, it's very dull, and very boring. Yeah, yeah, and the movie breaks its own rules constantly. Oh, the living are not allowed to speak to the dead. Then he goes down there and talks to her, and all the judges are sitting there and don't give a shit. Like it's like, well, what is happening? And, and, and that's another thing, also, is that like a lot of when it's not doing the like quippy one-liners, it's a lot of like exposition that contradicts other exposition that we've heard before. It's very like, so wait, well, I'm following this. I can't, what, what's, wait, what, what's happening? What's going on? And it's like, well, maybe the crazy can distract me from how like inconsistent this world is. Not really. No. <laughs> so it's got, an, it's, it's nothing for nobody. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I completely agree. Yep. Um, anything else to add to that as a final thought, Adam, for Guns of Egypt? <laughs> I mean, it's no, it's just bullshit. I mean, the movie's bullshit. Like, I, I, I I would never, I, in any circumstance, watch this movie again, ever. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'll agree with like all the sentiments we've had before, but I will also add just like to that whitewashing element of it, that it was off, obviously criticized so much for that. And like, I'm almost glad they didn't do the like huge diverse cast or actually have Egyptians in here because that would have sunk any attempt to actually have like Egyptian actors, like a more diverse cast than anything in bigger movies. Yeah. That's I'm almost really glad that like you didn't sully other actors of color beyond the ones that are in here with this bullshit, this like massive turd of a movie that would not have been imp- like, even if you had cast those other actors who were more appropriate for it, it wouldn't have been improved that much by it. Unfortunately, because this is still a dire, dull, boring movie that has some interesting visual flair on occasion. Uh, but is ultimately just like such a waste of time and would have been a waste of much more talented people that could have been cast in here. And I'm glad that they weren't bothered with this bullshit. (laughs) Yeah. Good for them. Good for them. Now cast them in other movies. Hollywood. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Do that. That's good. (laughs) Well, now Adam, it's time we do our weekly segment, the double redo. Yeah. Double Redo, double redo, double redo, double redo, double redo, 
double, 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 that we're talking about, uh, we recommend and don't recommend a movie each. So uh, Adam and I each have a good and a bad pick related to the massive box office bombs uh, topic here. And I'll start with mine. Uh, my good pick, you know, I mentioned them earlier uh, in terms of they make these big, hard in their sleeve, sincere movies. I have uh, the Wachowskis Speed Racer from 2008, which was a movie that really bombed horribly. It came out within weeks of Iron Man being a massive success, and that kind of just showed you the trajectory of Hollywood from there, that that this movie failed spectacularly while the Marvel Cinematic Universe train kept it rolling and is still rolling to this day, which I think is a shame because Speed Racer admittingly was a movie I saw around the time it came out, not in theaters, much like most people out there. Uh, And I was like, oh, I don't know if I really am digging into it, but then when I revisited a lot of the Wachowski films a couple years ago, uh, this movie really shot up for me. It is a very fun example of doing like a live action cartoon. It's so rare you get like a good version of that these days. And I love what the Wachowskis do with this movie where they take the Speed Racer dub in particular from like the 60s and just throw this like big live action movie full of great colors and over the top like racing sequences, but fill it with a lot of sincerity to where you're invested in this little ragtag family with like John Goodman, Christina Ricci, uh, Susan Sarandon, even Speed is played by Emile Hirsch, not a great guy. Uh, but he works fine as, like, the main character there. And there's just, like, so much bizarre fun craft that kind of reminds me of, like, what I love about older cartoons at their best. Like, this movie has that so much and has, like, so much fun, colorful, sprightly imagery throughout. It's a very fun movie. I think it deserves a lot more love than it got at the time. But on the contrasting side of that, I have uh, the bad pick, which is Jack Frost. No, not the 1990s. Uh, slasher film comedy. I have the 1990s family fantasy drama starring Michael Keaton, where basically this uh, follows uh, him as a traveling blues musician. Yep. He's like, he's playing blues traveler and like with a fucking harmonica at the beginning. It's like Ryan Phillippe with a saxophone. Sure, of course. No, I totally believe that he can play harmonica. Of yeah. Michael Keaton. yeah, sure. Uh, but he... He dies in a car accident, and he's been distant from his family before that. But then a year later, on Christmas, he gets resurrected in the form of the snowman that his son builds outside his house. And so from there, it's an adventure with, like, the son palling around with this snowman. And this was a movie I saw in theaters as a kid. The movie itself, bad 90s fantasy kids movie, whatever. It's a bad movie. But I found out the big reason it cost so much money was obviously all the stuff with the snowman, who was mostly a practical thing or, like, CG on occasion. But the big thing was they originally hired George Clooney to play the part of Jack Frost, the snowman. So they were going to originally have him do that and do, like, all the voice stuff. So the snowman is modeled after Clooney. Oh, it's so obvious, too. It's so, like, the down to, like, the brow is very Clooney-esque, but he quit by a second. So then you have Michael Keaton talking out of the snowman, and it's the most surreal, bizarre <laughs> thing. <It's> so <laughs> Just, like, George Clooney snowman talking with, like, the Michael Keaton voice. It's bizarre, and it's a very bad movie that is only interesting just because of the weird, conflicting thing between the 1997 horror comedy movie and this bad family movie. And for the record, both of them are terrible movies. 
Both of them very awful bad movies. Yep, yep, yep. 1997 one stars Shannon Elizabeth. So there you go. Mm-hmm. And they do some horrible things with that character. Absolutely terrible. I've seen both of yours. Speed Racer. Yeah, I, it's fine. I, I'm not as big on it as you are. I, I never was. But after rewatching it with you, actually. Um, yes. I, I like it enough. There's a there's a lot of good fun moments to it. Uh, visually, it's fucking incredible. Uh, there's there, but there's some good bits. John Goodman and Susan Sarandon are fucking amazing in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it's fun. I'll put it like that. It is fun. Uh, Matthew Fox is a wet blanket, like always. Um, mm-hmm. But it, yeah, okay. It's it. Look, it's better than I gave it credit for. That's about as far as I'll go with that. But. Okay. Uh, Jack Frost is a nightmare fuel. A thousand percent. It's scarier than the 97 horror one. (laughs) Like, it's terrifying. It's terrifying. The George Clooney snowman is the scariest thing in the world. Like, that movie is fucking... What what are we what what is happening here? Uh, That's a absolutely terrible, terrible film. And I, I... Yeah. No, no, no. No, 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 no. Well, Adam, I'm going to say yes, 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 yes to your choices. Yes, yes, yes. Yes, 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 yes. Um, For my good, I have the aforementioned earlier in the show, John Carter. I think John Carter is super, super fun. Um, As much as I think the lead can be a very, very sort of bland actor, and he is, uh, I think he's fine in this. Um, I, I just think it's a really cool sci-fi movie. I think one of the biggest disservices Disney did is calling it John Carter instead of John Carter of Mars. I know that sounds crazy, but the title John Carter of Mars would make people a little bit more fascinating than just John Carter. And plus, that's the name of the original beloved source material. Everything like that. Why not just call it that? And they even call him that by the end of the movie. Yeah. Why not just call the movie John Carter of Mars? To, I mean, what a cool title. I still, though, it is a little long, but even then, though, it, it doesn't deserve the hate it gets. I, I, you know, for people to lump this in with like the Lone Ranger is insane to me because John Carter is infinitely more fun with the Lone Ranger. It's just a fucking mess all over the place. Talk about another, you know, instance of improper casting. And then for uh, my bad, which also uh, has a bit of improper casting, I have 47 Ronin. 47 Ronin, it looks amazing. Like the movie, the colors, the costume design, everything. I mean, it is gorgeous. Absolutely gorgeous. But that's the only thing it has going for it. The rest is just a slog and a bore fest to get through, unfortunately, because it could be a really, really cool movie. Another problem with 47 Ronin is the marketing. They promised a lot more than was delivered in the movie, uh, particularly with the uh, skull guy who was tattooed. Looks like he's got a huge part of the movie. He's in it for t- two seconds. Um, it, it's just, it falls flat on so many levels that even the sort of action bits and the sword fighting and all that is just a CGI mess. And uh, it's really unfortunate because there was a lot of potential with this one. Um, ex- like I said, especially with the costume design, the color palette that's chosen, even the cinematography, the score, and most of it works. It's just the action bits uh, fall flat. And that isn't something you probably don't want in a samurai epic. Yeah, I have not seen 47 Ronin, though I heard about, like, that. that's another sort of, like, 13th Warrior example, where they shot a completely different movie, and they put so much money into reshoots to try and make it more commercial, and it didn't fucking work for them, obviously, <laughs> because of how much that movie massively failed. Um, I have seen John Carter, though. I also saw John Carter in a theater, 
And I was, like, it's fascinating with that movie because it's based on the old Edgar Rice Burroughs novels. And I think that movie, even if it wasn't as massively expensive as it was, had the pretty big hill of they are making a movie in 2012 based on literally, at that point, like a hundred-year-old book that influenced all of this, like, big science fiction fantasy that came after it. And, and honestly, to throw in uh, a Confederate soldier. Right, that's true. There's also that. Uh, shocker, Edgar Rice Burroughs, the guy who made Tarzan, uh, not the most culturally... What? I know, I'm sorry, Adam. I gotta sit you down about this. All 500 of your Tarzan novels you read all the time. Son of a Aren't bitch. You? Fuck you, Phil Collins. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, the, just I think that was like an uphill battle no matter what was making like because John Carter that was one of those were like huge production to like various different versions that had been tried to be made that there was like an animated one that was trying to be made in like the 50s I think and then different other attempts that just never really crystallized into anything. As opposed to, like, when we ultimately got John Carter, I agree that movie's fun and it's watchable, but I remember even around the time, like, friends of mine who had seen it were just like, oh, it just feels like Star Wars. And it's like, well, this is, like, the movie based on the book that influenced Star Wars, basically. Right. So it was always going to have that trouble, I think. Uh, that would not make it necessarily very commercial, but still, it's fun. Um, and it's honestly a shame that, like, that was made by Andrew Stanton, which was, uh, he was, like, a big Pixar guy, made, like, Finding Nemo. And A Bug's Life and other things like that. And that was his attempt to be like a big live action director. And then that failed so hard. It's like, uh, Finding Dory, everybody. <laughs> yep. Let's go right back to that well. <laughs> uh, which is a shame. Gus, uh, but uh, yeah, that, that that's a, it's a very interesting movie. And I get, though, at the same time, why that lost so much money. <laughs> mm. Yeah. But well, let's repeat our titles for everybody here. Uh, for my a good one, I had Speed Racer. And for my bad one, I had Jack Frost, parentheses, 1998. <laughs> yeah, you gotta do that. For my good one, I had John Carter, should have been called John Carter of Mars. And my bad one, I had 47 Ronin. Yes, so uh, those are our titles. Please submit yours to the various places where we uh, accept feedback and such that we'll mention as we do the close for our show. Though, keep in mind, we'll be doing our picking at the very end for next week, so stay tuned for that. Though, uh, first, we got to thank some people like Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Christian Thor Lally for our artwork. Follow him at Night of Water. That's night with a K, underscore of, underscore water, on Twitter and other places for all his great stuff. And thanks, of course, to our loyal Patreon subscribers, patreon.com slash dedbpod, where for just $1 a month, you all get to choose uh, movies that we cover for the show or topics like this particular topic that we're covering uh, today. So thank you very much, patrons, for choosing that, and then leading us to that fun discussion we had with those two movies. And uh, you also get to listen to bonus podcasts we put out. Like uh, this past month, we put out a commentary for Punisher Warzone. We recorded in person a couple yeah. months ago. And then also on the Edge of Relevance, where we talked about The Northman. Yeah! Yes, and you get that and a whole catalog, like over two years' worth of fun stuff for just uh, one dollar. Yeah, there's a ton of shit out there. I mean, you know, the patrons we got, I love you guys. Thank you so much for doing it. Uh, turn some more people on to us. Rafe tells, I, I don't know that you know we need you anymore, uh, but we, you know, we'll still take the dollar. We'll still take the dollar. But uh, no, just- we, we need and love and appreciate the dollar. 
I appreciate and love everybody else's dollar. His money is good here. He, we, we, do, we do accept his credits for our Patreon. Man, we might have to have a meeting. <laughs> we have these meetings all the time, folks. It's a bit rough. But for more of us, please uh, find us on Twitter and Facebook at DEGBpod. And also submit feedback and double or do choices, all sorts of stuff, to either there or our email, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com. All spelled out. And uh, for more of my antics, uh, find me on Twitter and Letterboxes at NotTheWho'sTommy. I also do some writing at MarianiThomas.wordpress.com and Film-Cred.com. And you can find me bounce around on the internet on uh, Instagram or Facebook. On Instagram, it's Atom or Adam, A-T-O-M underscore O-R underscore A-D-A-M. And on Facebook, it's my full name, Adam Thomas. It's private, but send me your request. Say that you're a fan of the show, and I will... Uh, I'll definitely add you, because why the hell not? And then you can find me on Letterboxd at Schwanson. That's S-C-H-W-A-N-D-T-S-O-N. Yes, and uh, for more of our audio antics, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. If you're listening on Talk Film Society, why listen to all the other great shows on the network? Or also, go to our Podbean main feed for our full archives with a bunch of stuff we recorded long before we joined Talk Film Society. And nothing else, if you can't support us on the Patreon, that's cool, money can be tight, but the totally free way to help us out is just to simply rate review or share the show around because that gets us more visibility yeah it costs you nothing so what the fuck why are we sandbagging on this let's get it done get it done just do it get, us, us gods it have no time for your yeah. foolish mortal needs except for you to share our basking wealth yes please share it around let everyone know who we are yeah what the fuck <laughs> <laughs> Adam, God of who gives a fuck? What? Yep, yep. <laughs> yep. God of South Boston. Ah, what the fuck, you prick, you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Adam, we got to do our picking for next week here because we're at the end of the show. And every week, if you're new, at the very end, Adam and I uh, each pick between uh, the other's choices. Uh, I have two good choices for next week's show. Adam has two bad ones. And, uh, you know, we assign each of our choices number between one and ten. And uh, the other one picks the number, and thus that gets us uh, whichever closest uh, that number is to our good and our bad feature. Though keep in mind, we do have this little uh, rule in effect called the Godfather rule, where uh, you know back at our uh, most recent anniversary episode a couple of weeks ago, Adam and I were given a single veto to use, and it's uh, burning a hole in our back pockets. We have to use it f- at some point before May of next year. Uh, and uh, we basically have this veto that if we hear one of the two choices that ends up getting picked from the other person's uh, picks, we can say, you know what, I don't want to cover the movie, so actually I'll take the cannoli, unless that choice is gone, and we have to go with whatever other choice is there. And uh, Adam, next week it is the release of Jurassic World Dominion, which I'm sure you're very excited about. Right, yes. Uh, The newest entry in the Jurassic Park franchise. Uh, We decided, you know what, even though the series itself has gone off the rails of being in a theme park, uh, the original started off where, like, oh, they were all at the Jurassic Park, the actual uh, theme attraction in-universe. So we decided to do something interesting and do amusement park-related films. So basically anything either based on an existing amusement park attraction, like a, you know, a Disney ride or whatever, or something that prominently features an amusement park of some sort in the story. Yeah. 
little weird subgenre, but it, it definitely exists. Yes, and I will say I definitely champion this as a Florida boy who went to the various theme parks many times. I have Yeah, you got like I, fucking 9 of them down there. But Adam, I have the two good, you have the two bad. So please for my two good choices, assign them between 1 and 10. All right. You know what? I'll just go straight up number 1. All right. Well, at number 3, I have a very interesting version of what could be like a, a theme park movie. One that like when I was looking through my potential choices, it wasn't one that sprung to mind originally, but I'm like, oh, no, of course. I would love to cover this movie. It's a film from the 60s. It is the uh, sort of beloved surreal horror classic Carnival of Souls. Oh, wow. Wow. Mm. <laughs> like that, did you? Oh, <laughs> no. I know that, that that's a good choice. Yeah, I'm good with that. I'm not I yeah, I never expected that. I'm not taking the cannoli on that. Yes. Uh and on the other side of things, over at number nine, I had Adventureland. Oh, that movie's solid, man. I you know, yeah. I'm not crazy about it, but I like that one. It's a really enjoyable movie, yeah. Yeah, that I, I think a- that one got kind of lost in the shuffle of the uh two thousands. They were like Judd Apatow comedies of sorts. That one stands yeah, out a thousand percent. Yeah. yeah, I completely agree. Okay. Now, Adam. Uh-huh. Bad. Very curious about this. Um, I'll go the other direction from you. I'm going to go with number 10. Okay, so at number 9, I had, which is just basically, unfortunately, a knockoff of an existing thing by one of the original creators based on True Story. I have the Johnny Knoxville film, Action Point. Oh, Okay. I have not seen this. I'm curious something else because I got into like the jackass kick right this year. So you know what? I'm 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 curious to see what this is. I am not going to take the cannoli on that. And at number two, I had Jurassic World: Fallen Kingdom. Mm. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's yeah. that one is so weird because in some ways I think it's a bit more interesting than Jurassic World, but also it's much worse as a movie. No, I completely <laughs> agree. It, it it's yeah. it's got way more interesting ideas it just doesn't capitalize on any of them right also much better directed because it's a much yeah, better director than colin trevorrow uh, yeah one yeah. a bayona yeah, yeah, yeah much better director um but all right yeah so carnival of souls and action point <laughs> action point but until then everybody uh you know this episode is going way over budget let's uh, do some re-recordings and reshoots and i'm sure it'll do fine adam it'll get the most downloads possible yeah uh we gotta redub our voices yes of course and we'll have <laughs> mike myers do a scottish accent for both of us <laughs> yes and we'll have uh, gerard butler i think of doing an american accent yeah crazy yeah really weird right really weird 